Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Wednesday, the 21st of October 2015. Seems familiar that day. Uh, joining me, Assistant Editor Steve Withers. Look, I'm all for that, but what's wrong with making a few bucks on the side? News Editor Mark Hodgkinson. You're the Doc Doc. And Audio Reviewer Ed Selly. On the other hand, it could just be an amazing coincidence. Well, welcome back to the podcast. We were on holiday last, well, I was on holiday last week, but I've come back and having real issues. You know, you think you buy Audi, you know, as a car, you think it's going to be a good brand. Uh, I know you bought Skoda, which is basically the same group, Ed, mm. and having real hassle with it. I mean, the hover conversion that was done on it just doesn't work. Well, look on the bright side. I mean, I've just had to fork out $130,000 for a new Mr. Fusion uh, on the Skoda. So, uh, yeah, um, uh, I think we're both having having some fun and games yeah, uh, yeah, for different and reasons. And that's the one that doesn't take the banana skins as well, is it? Yeah. yeah it doesn't yeah. take organic produce, which no, 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 yeah, no. Just, you'd think. Just old cans of Miller. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, luckily, we were over the, the, the lock at the time, so I was able to bring it in and land it just at the side of the lock without any major damage, but... That was a close call, Phil, because if you'd gone over the water, you'd have been buggered. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, we were going along the side of the lock, so luckily I was able to bring it in, in on a passing place and, and land. I did have a big sign saying no landing, but oh, I thought it was kind of an emergency. So, so you got. Basically. I did warn you not to get that Lufthansa upgrade, didn't I? Well, at least it wasn't in the VW, uh, Mister Fusion, that you went for Ed. Because uh, I mean, look at the problems in the press this week with the with the. You know, this the is true. This is the, this is the older model. Um, but it still wet goes spectacularly. I mean, there was undigested rubbish all over the road. My wife was very upset. Um, and uh, yeah, as I say, uh, significant money to get another one put in. Uh, far from ideal. And these new jeans that I bought as well at the week- weekend after being on holiday, I thought I fancy a new pair of jeans. The pockets, when you pull them out, they're not long enough. So I'm not down with the kids at the minute. My pockets hanging out are not long enough on these new jeans. Um Mark, you've been looking at the latest pull-down TVs. Um, what's your recommendation? You've been looking at the, the big four. Which ones do the job? Right, okay. Well, I looked at the Sony X90. Uh, this is the 26th consecutive year you've used that product number. Uh, they put a Z on it at the end this time. Uh, it's got all the usual smart TV features, Watch 6, Record 6, voice control, video conferencing. Uh, Sony says they've improved the compression through the video telephone line by up to 1% this year. Um, they've also been redesigning the UI and the menu system, um, and they finally made it so complicated to use that you need a two-year course at university before you're allowed to. Uh, Sony engineers are apparently delighted with the results. They all come with an exclusive deal that gives them all the pay-per-view events on the Atrocity channel, free for a year. Uh, in terms of PQ, definitely no complaints. Good black levels, although some of the picture controls weren't available as I'm only halfway through that course at the moment. Should be noted, this is the only holographic 3D TV amongst the group, but Sony doesn't mention that anywhere and the spec sheet. Uh, or in see, the big problem I've got with the Sony TVs, Mark, you'll have had a look at this, but how does it interact with your fax machine? I, I've had some problems with that. As I say, I, I've not really completed the Smart TV University course yet, so I'm a, I'm a little bit unsure on some of those features. It, it's The interaction seems iffy at best, I have to say. Some bugs in there. Steve, have you been having problems with your fax line? Uh, I've had problems with my thumb, my print, thumb print identification, um, which is a real pain. It doesn't seem to recognise my thumb most of the time. I wish we could go back to the good old days of you know facial recognition for this kind of thing. Other than that, though, pretty clear line. Um, I don't get many faxes these days because no one likes to talk to me, but when I do, it is pristine. Okay, cool. Uh, so you also looked at the Samsung uh, and the LG and the Panasonic. Uh, Mark, how did you get on there? Uh, Samsung, it's a 96-inch LED LCD. Uh, Samsung, I'm still convinced this is the way to go. There's a few uniformity issues with this one. As I was pulling it down, the cat was sick all over it, which is which was a bit unfortunate. But I think they'll fade in time. There's a, a software update on coming for iPlayer, I believe. It can they've really pushed the boat out on the smart TV features. There's uh, it's a watch ch- twelve channels simultaneously. Uh, just thought, just twelve. Just twelve, yeah. Well, it's six on the other on the standard. Uh, it's got thought commands and a really grumpy voice assistant. Uh, them who'll give you abuse and mock your taste in movies. Samsung are claiming LG have had the uh, I've had agents inside the factory who've implanted the assistant in there, uh, but we can't really comment on that. The LG Smart TV uh, platform is identical to Samsung's, strangely enough, except the malevolent assistant has been replaced by Beanbird squawking in unintelligible <laughs> Korean. Um, the picture quality... Oh, sorry, we forgot to mention that LG had been taken over by Zen Buddhists, so they're... Uh, 
now able to achieve greater than infinite black levels and contrast. Um, so it's, it's quite, it's quite a. Is that the Nirvana range? The Nirvana range, yes. Mm. Well, they haven't. Really, well, the, actually, the Bing Zens, you don't actually give it a name. You're free to name it whatever you want. Um, I called it the Zoled, but you know, if, I'll go with your name if you like. Um, this was the only 4-3 aspect ratio TV in for review, rather strangely. Panasonic. Uh, this is the TX75PS902B. In the rest of the world, it's known as the PS900. Pan UK, I do have that weird number two fetish. Um, it's the most expensive TV in the test, asking price of 10 grand. But then um, Panasonic is promising this is the new reference in pull-down TVs. Rumour has it some of the engineers who worked on the legendary Plasma series uh, were brought in from the old people's home to help out, <laughs> and perhaps even some brought out of cryogenic stasis. Pleasingly, it is an OLED, although they've still not managed to crack producing their own panels. But uh, they're not really worried about that. A rep told us we're just better than the rest at the other bits, so we don't need to. And the game is a knowing look. Have to say the they're still throwing in their special sauce. There's special, plenty of special sauce behind the scenes, and uh, and a Kevlar back cover. Um, it's great. The PQ on this one is great. Not sure it justifies the price, and the, all the smart TV features are currently missing. Uh, right. So it was a, it was a bit of a group test. I mean, you know, hats off to you. Um, both hats off to you, as well as both ties. You managed to hang these properly and and get them reviewed. I mean, they're all pull down screens. Um, so which one won? Uh, I'm going to have to give it to the Samsung because they uh, comes with a free pair of JVC video glasses. They're only 1080p, but the black levels are really good. And presumably we can all read your review in next month's issue of AV Forum, which is now available with dust repellent paper. Yes, indeed. So don't forget the magazine is out at the end of the month. Uh, right, so let's move on slightly. So you've looked at the screens, Mark, but the big thing here is obviously the TV channels that, that we all like to watch. I mean, I, you know, I can't quite manage the nine myself. Six is the most I can manage to watch at any one time. But uh, looking at things like the Scenery Channel or the Atrocity Channel, which is your favourite? So I wasn't much into the Atrocity Channel before I got the free pay-per-views from Sony, so I'd have to go with that. It's just brutal. Ed, you, you, you normally moan about these things, so do you like looking at nice scenery or are you more into the atrocities? I've got to be honest, I, I was a huge advocate of the Atrocity Channel, but um, I, I don't know, I just think they're running out of atrocities. Um, endless repeats, uh, it's just not, it lacks the sparkle it once did. Um, and uh, yeah, as a result of that, I, I do find myself looking at just scenery more often. Uh, but uh, here's hoping, uh, you know, it's a, it's a brave new world out there. Let's uh, let, let's hope for some fresh atrocities uh, and uh, and some new content going forward. And then who knows? It might be able to bring it back, get to the forefront of viewing again. And so, Sony has promised some exclusive atrocities are coming your way. Well, they've been promising that for some time, um, and it's just I don't know. Uh, there, there was a time when you couldn't move for atrocities, and at the moment uh, they're just not getting the content that they need. And your view, Steve. Well, after a long period of time exposed to the Atrocity Channel, I find I now spend most of my time watching the Lithium Channel to um, to, to offset the slightly depressive effects of the Atrocity Channel. Okay. Well, you always were a week uh, a weakling, to be honest. So, yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> Steve, you're the only one that, that manages to pass out after having a Pepsi Perfect, aren't you? I mean, you know, <laughs> it's the one drinking about no It's calories. straining myself trying to get those bottles open. <laughs> <that's the problem. laughs> no calories, no caffeine, no sugar, and, and obviously no taste, yet you manage to... to blackout yeah ed what do you think of the new pepsi perfect well um they've delivered um pretty much on the mission statement it is um it's it's perfectly free of um anything that you might sort of describe as as, as taste or character but in the in this day and age you, you can't risk um sort of doing anything uh, untoward or delivering something you know let's face it if there's flavor somebody might not like it so uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's the perfect answer to uh, to to the to, to the uh, to the you know the, the beverage issues that we face. We're going to stay with you. Uh, your subject is is obviously music. Uh, music from the eighties is is your big thing. Um, so tell us about this new cafe eighties revival that we're seeing happening on every high street at the moment. You down with it? Well, I've got to be honest. They're, they're, for every place that's doing this properly, um, there are plenty of others where it's it's just a bit weak. Um, I've got to be honest with you guys. Um, the, the the place I went to last night, um, it it was just by the numbers. You know, one one gunslinger machine and uh, and, a, and a rendering of uh, Ronald Reagan, the Ayatollah, and Michael Jackson is not in itself the 1980s. 
it was it, it just felt a little a little sort of manufactured and uh, very uh, very very u.s centric i mean i know the rule what the world and all the rest of it but very u.s centric well this is true uh obviously uh since uh, rick astley became uh president of europe he's been an, un, less keen to uh, to be used uh, in, in in these sort of nostalgia situations, so you know they, they do have they do have some justification for that. But um, whilst uh, they delivered a perfect Pepsi perfect, uh, I did feel that the uh, rehydration on the food was indifferent, and I have to say that the uh, my afternoon there was uh, fairly undermined by uh, an altercation between uh, some teenagers that wound up with some of them uh, firing their way through the uh, glass front of the city hall and being arrested. Uh, and I have to admit that sort of took most of the shine off off the uh, off the off the day. But in principle, if uh, if Cafe Eighties is done correctly, uh, it could be it could be nostalgic. Could be everything that you everything that you want. Uh, right. So to wrap up, um, we'll be back in a sec with movie news. Uh, Steve. So what's at the cinema? What's the big release this week? Obviously, everyone knows Jaws 19 came out. I can't believe 19, 19th Jaws movie. Incredible. I mean, obviously, we all remember Jaws, the classic original, the one that made you afraid to go in the water back in uh, 1975. Blimey, 40 years ago now. But still a classic, still one of the best ones ever made. Jaws 2 came along, made you afraid to go back in the water. Um, not great, but an all right sequel. Jaws 3, 3D, during the 1980s 3D revival before the current one. Um, that made um, that you know that was made in 3D and um, added a new dimension in terror. Possibly wasn't a great film, but I quite enjoyed the 3D effects back way back in the 80s. Uh, Jaws for the Revenge. That time they made it personal and definitely a low point in Michael Caine's career. Then after that we had Jaws Five, which was let's be honest, just about the money. Uh, Jaws Six. That was just about pure pleasure. Jaws Seven. Cyber Jaws. Now come on, seriously, who, who didn't did that film not make you afraid to log on? It certainly did make me afraid to log on. Uh, Jaws Eight. We had a Robo Shark. Robo Jaws. Um, and also a reanimated version of Michael Caine in that one too, from because he died in Jaws 4, but they brought him back for Jaws, um, Jaws 8 with a, a robotic shark. Fantastic. Quite enjoyed that one. Jaws 9, um, you know, Chief Brody's grandson uh, assembling a team of shark hunters. And um, that's still the late Roy Scheider's character, Chief Brody, unfortunately. Um, that was okay. A bit, like, bit derivative, though, a bit like aliens, really, frankly, uh, but with sharks. And then Jaws 10, man versus shark versus giant octopus. Now, who doesn't like a giant octopus and a giant shark? So that was actually okay. Jaws 11 went into outer space. Got to be honest there. I really enjoyed that one. The effects were superb. Did, did you really? I thought it was really cashing in on... on... Mm, really? Well, I mean, I can, I can buy a gigantic robotic shark in space. Who, who doesn't want to see that? I think I, I... you're stalling here, Steve, because frankly, we all know that your favourite set of jaws was uh was when uh, the uh, license was taken over by the uh, browser's porn website so that's jaws 12 through 17 i think that they worked in abs- excessive hardcore pornography into the construct of battling a giant shark i thought actually they did that with with real delicacy and that's obviously why you know let's face it the the uh, academy institute agreed with me and jaws 16 won best picture i would have been happier with the with the hardcore sex if they hadn't tried to make a prequel because one of them was a prequel where there was no shark in it which was a bit of a disappointment in all honesty and then and the next see, one I I that. shark, that's one of my favorites i've got to be honest getting great get the shark let's face it was was getting in the way of many of those scenes i i think that they had the honesty to acknowledge that which, which one was that again was that sword jaws and then um they made a sequel to the prequel which was even more ridiculous although at least there was a shark at the very end of that film in a lovely recreation of the beginning of the original film where you saw a cg christine christine black liney uh swimming in the water and the shark going into attack um but otherwise it wasn't worth watching i quite enjoyed 50 shades of teeth though i thought that one actually did handle handle the erotic nature very well um jaws not 18 though that was a reboot now who wants to see a remake of jaws that was just a waste of time and now that brings us to jaws 19 um and although we now have fusion power, but we're freely available, uh, unfortunately, to a certain extent, it's been a bit too late. The oceans have receded. And now in this film, the sharks are on land. They're looking for, they're looking for revenge. They want, they've lost their homes in the sea. They've evolved to breathe air and they're on land. Could happen. Could happen any day now. Um, directed by Max Spielberg, of course, the son of the director of the original film. And um, starring Shia LaBeouf, who's re- reprising his role as Chief Brody's grandson. Also, uh, Jim Carrey uh, reappearing again after his appearance in, um, I believe it was Jaws 12. Uh, he uses Holomax, of course. This is the current 3D craze. And um, 
I've got to say, I'm not a big fan of Holomax. I, I don't really want to be immersed in the film to the point where I'm actually inside the movie. I, I find that a little bit disconcerting sometimes, um, particularly during the hardcore sex scenes. And, um, and when you move your head, you lose the 3D effect, which is always a pain. Yeah. And frankly, the shark still looks fake. Yeah. It, it's when you move to have a look back, isn't it? And just goes. Although, you know, spraying water on you for some of the effects pff, doesn't really work, does it? It wasn't the water that bothered me. It was during some of the hardcore ones. They weren't just spraying water, Phil. Yeah, and obviously when you've got clothes which are, you know, self-tightening and uh, therefore electrically powered, the last thing you want to do is be shorted out by just bodily <laughs> fluids being squirted at you. From some All right, place. enough. Enough. <laughs> I uh, it four out of ten. Four out of ten. Okay. Good. <laughs> All right, so if you haven't realised yet, and let's face it, I think everybody got the joke right at the very start, and we've kind of just milked it for 15 years. Yeah, well, well past the point of comedy. Well past the point of comedy, straight past desperation into just flogging that horse until it falls. Well, that, that's at the stage where before I said he'd edit. It might actually. No, it won't. It, it won't. <laughs> no, you need to force the full, unexpurgated version on the pub, pub, public. <laughs> Get your one Steve. I was going to say population, but I thought that's pushing it. <laughs> okay, so if you hadn't realised, I think everybody has, uh, today is the exact day that Marty, Jennifer and the Doc went back, uh, or went to, forward to, in Back to the Future Part 2. We are in the future, people. Um, so, Ed, take us through what they might have got right and what they definitely got wrong. Um... Do you know the most depressing thing is that there's not a huge amount right, is there, when it boils down to it. Um, there is no Federal Weather Service. Uh, cars only fly if you really, really gun them over a humpback bridge. <laughs> um, Could, you know, looking at the roads now and looking at the idiots on the roads. I was about to say, I, I am a I mean, let's face it, enough people on our, on our nation's highways and have enough problems with a, with a car that operates in two dimensions. Um, so adding a third probably isn't necessary. It is it's a sad fact that these days, even getting on a commercial airline is hard enough. The idea of, in our current ge- geopolitical situation, of allowing anyone to fly a bomb around in the air in a car loaded with fuel doesn't seem like a, the best idea. And um, had it ever, be, ever really happened, it would have been, a, you know, there would have been chaos, wouldn't it? <laughs> Now, do, do, do you think it, do you think it it was there was a definite eighties look to the future, wasn't it? Really, I mean, you just have to look at Back to the Future in terms of the very eighties um, attitude of all three of the films. Really, I mean, you know, what's his aspirations? His aspirations to have a nice truck and and to have mm. a lot of material things, isn't it? Which is a very eighties way of looking at looking at the the world and and. Do you think they, they they took that a bit too far? I mean, it was it was thirty years into the future. Now, somebody says to you, thirty years into the future, are you going to make some of the leaps that they made? Um, it comes off the back of um, uh, if you look thirty years from fifty five to eighty five, um, as the first film did, there are some serious technical advancements yeah and and it's and a cult, lot of it is well. a lot of it is is engineering and physical you know physical product based stuff so i it would be it was perfectly logical to extrapolate based on the preceding 30 years what the next 30 years we're going to do completely ignoring that in fact many of the constructs in batch the future two are, are laughably outdated you know dot matrix printers and all sorts of other well, sorts well of i kept mentioning the fax machine you know uh, absolutely be, be so it just it felt it, it you know we we have achieved don't get me wrong some some extraordinary things but it, it's much less much less visually apparent but it still wouldn't change the fact that you just drop someone from 1985 into the present don't get me wrong they'll function as a normal human being but there will be certain things that we've got and certain things that we do that are pretty witchcrafty when you don't have the the you know, the intervening 30 years to see how they came Well, back. I mean, the, the big thing that, that they missed, although they got some of it right with the video calling and, and so on, was the internet. You know, everything being yeah. connected and, and, and easier communication. And when you think that AT&T were, were definitely in on the research, because they're, they're mentioned quite a bit um, in the actual film, product placement-wise, 
it, it's kind of funny that that they didn't pick up on on the whole mass communication of the internet and uh, you know where things would go with that. It's, it's the big thing that, that they did miss out on. Yeah, um, yeah. I think in fairness, nobody really saw that coming back then, did they? And I suppose the film is you know, is inherently comic. Therefore, a lot of their predictions are designed to be funny. And I don't think anyone expected that to be flying cars in thirty years' time, or or a Mister Fusion. I did. How, you know, I did when I seen that in nineteen eighty. What it was? I was. I couldn't wait to get a flying car. And also, to be honest, I want a Mister a Mister Fusion. Yeah, Mister yeah. Fusion would be great. <laughs> you know, that would be the bomb. But they also do that. I mean, I mean, not. <laughs> Not this film. I mean, clearly this film is meant to be comic and therefore the things about trousers inside out and two tyres and that kind of thing is a joke. But a lot of science fiction films often make the mistake of taking fashion too far. When you actually look at fashion clothing over the last hundred years, it hasn't actually changed that much and tends to go around in cycles. So you know, people still wear a suit with a tie and a shirt and trousers and shoes. You know, I mean, things haven't changed. I mean, there are occasional blips in fashion. We shall get, but uh, I think generally clothes don't change as much as filmmakers often think that they do in movies. But I think I think they got a lot of things, you know, a lot, a lot of things they mention in the film, often in passing or barely you notice them, like widescreen TVs, flat wall, t- uh, flat screen wall mounted televisions, uh, multiple channels, watching multiple channels simultaneously. You can do that now. Fingerprint identification, definitely. That's good. everyone's phone does that now. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I think if you want to make a successful vision of the future, be incredibly careful what computer technology you show. Just work on, I mean, essentially, you either go, with, with in the case of computers, it now really is a case of you either think, a st- you know, go go as far as your, your imagination will take you and possibly a bit further. And the, the astonishing truth is the problem, in, the likelihood is you won't be all the way there. Or yep. just try and bypass it altogether. Well, if you look closely, when he asks for a donation for the uh, the clock tower, he's using an iPad-like device with a fingerprint to make mm. the payment. Same with the taxi that yep. the old Biff yep. gets uh, the payment by fingerprint. We're almost there. Most mobile phones do that now, um, and and again, that was like an iPad-like device. So I think they actually got that. And and this, like you say, Steve, these were the little things. The video glasses that young Marty Marty yeah. Junior's wearing—that's basically Google Glass, although no one actually wanted it in the end, as it turns out. <laughs> um, one of the things they did get absolutely right, because remember when they when they part Jennifer when she's asleep, yeah, next to a pile of old laser discs. Laser disc, yeah. But the, what they did miss was the revival of vinyl, Ed. This is true, but that's so so outlandish as to be very hard, very <laughs> yeah, hard. That's more unlikely that. than flying cars. <laughs> yeah, and and hoverboards. Yeah. You've seen that they've, um, is, is it, am I right in thinking that the, the, the hoverboard, fake hoverboard segue they made has been banned? I think oh. all segues have under the road traffic act now. Are they? Yeah, I don't think you can use any, certainly in public. On pub- it, was rubbish, it has to it? be on private land now, I think. Yeah, they were, they were always. Um, so, yeah, I think they got more right than they got wrong. I mean, it was the really big stuff they got wrong, like the flying cars and the hoverboards and, you know, the action set piece stuff that, that, that they used. But a lot of the little things, um, I think they got right. So so let's go Holomax. So we're not quite there yet, but you went and had a look at some really interesting projector technology a couple of weeks ago, Steve, at the Empire in Leicester Square. So tell us about that. Uh, yeah, the... Um this was the IMAX laser projector that they just installed into the Empire in Leicester Square in the main IMAX screen. You know, you're talking big screen here, 80, 90 foot cinema screen. Um, and they had two IMAX laser projectors in there. So uh, if they're doing a 2D presentation, they actually um, merge the two with a slight diagonal shift. So a bit like E-shift, but with two giant projectors. Um, so you're getting... I mean, the resolution of each projector is 4K, so you're getting a higher than technically a higher than 4K resolution uh, off these two laser projectors. Um, and obviously, being laser, incredibly bright, um, can do Rec 2020 um, color space if it if there was any content available to use that. Uh, so much wider color space, very very bright, even on those huge screens. Um, and they're using two of them. So when they're doing 3D, they use obviously one for left and one for right. And again. Um, we actually did demonstrations. We did demonstrations of 2D stuff and also some 3D stuff. And they showed the Star Wars trailer, the first Star Wars trailer um, for The Force Awakens. They showed that in 2D, then they showed it again straight afterwards in 3D. And there was barely any difference in brightness. That is how bright they can do this now. Which, so it's a real shame that kind of just as 3D's popularity is really waning now, 
they've come along with a project technology that can actually deliver 3D without any drop in brightness. You're not talking about, you know, four-foot Lambert's here. You're talking about full brightness uh, for both eyes in the cinema. And also being laser. And what um, IMAX done is they built their own. They used um, Texas, Texas Instruments um, panels, but they actually have built their own assembly in order to ensure they can get as blacks as black as possible. Um, the cinema itself totally blacked out as well um they make a point of that actually when they were doing the demos and so anyone who's building one at home that's the way you want to go you want to maximize your dynamic range here you try and get your room as dark as possible this is what they do in the cinema they're trying to minimize any lighting and obviously they have to have exit signs under under law but the seating the walls they were black it was black in there and then the black levels on this projector were um were really good the best i've ever seen in a, in a commercial cinema um, so the interesting thing, though, was they, they did this demo of stuff. So they showed some you know, some 2K stuff. They showed some 4K stuff. They showed some stuff that was um, shot on IMAX, um, as in IMAX, you know, 70 millimeter film stock. And and the really high quality stuff looked absolutely stunning. Absolutely stunning. And easily the best projected image I've ever seen anywhere. Um, but the interesting thing was that because of the size of the screen and because of the quality of the projection, you could easily tell when something was 2K and not native 4K. And what they, the point they made was that actually a lot of stuff still is finished in 2k even if it's shot on a 4k camera uh and we actually watched the whole of the walk was robert zemeckis's new film. speaking of back to the future robert zemeckis's new film which is about um um i forgot his first name now what's his name philippe petit philippe petit yeah philippe petit who was the guy that walked between the twin towers isn't that like song that's Reek Petit. Oh. <laughs> that's what they say in newcastle uh, that's Reek petit that um he walked between Twin Towers, and this is kind of the film. Um, it was covered in the documentary Man on Wire, and this is the film uh, version of that story. Um, to be honest, the majority of the film is fairly, you know, he speaks for the, it's um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt who's playing Petit, and he, um, he's, uh, he's putting on a fake French accent. It sounds very a lower low, but um, really the film's about the last 20 minutes where he's up on that wire, and this is in IMAX laser projection 3D. All right, you can stop, uh, you can stop talking about it now because you're just going to put images in my head and I've got really bad vertigo. Well, you, I, there were audible shocks, sounds from people in the audience who were struggling to handle the uh, vertigo aspects of it. Yeah, I mean, there's bits where the camera looks down, you're like, oh, my God. Um, but the present, I mean, that was a 2K finished film, and you could tell. I could instantly tell that that was not finished in 4K. Interestingly, um, they mentioned that they're doing a big IMAX screening um, next Monday, it starts, for Spectre. That opens on Monday, worldwide, uh, nationwide. And um, the IMAX version is finished in 4K. And as I was leaving the cinema, Sam Mendes was going in to see it for the first time in IMAX laser in 4K. Um, just to name drop, like, yeah. Yeah, just thought I'd drop that one in. But yeah, no, um, so really impressive. They've also got their own sound system, which is similar in, in, in some respects to, to uh, Dolby. In a sense, it's immersive with overhead and more speakers around you. But they very made, made the point that theirs is not object-based. They're still using channels. because they And also they said that their sound design is designed for their cinema. So rather than... Dolby Atmos, which obviously is can be ported into any cinema, and then it basically it maps to that cinema space in real time, given the configuration of uh, of speakers in that particular cinema. So it's doing the doing the um, conversion on the fly, if you like, in terms of mapping to that particular space. Theirs is obviously custom built for their cinemas, and they're all done exactly the same. So they seem to feel that that gives them a better overall experience because it's it's all you know all customized for each IMAX cinema. And obviously, IMAX is about you know, you're paying for that premium experience. And that's something that's interesting because I think that cinemas generally are trying to push their way towards that. Things like Dolby Cinemas, that kind of stuff. It's about giving you that premium experience now because what's happened is that at home we're getting, you know, bigger screens, higher quality sources, more audio for me. You, know, you can sit at home now or I can sit at home now and watch a film on a big screen with Atmos surround and speakers overhead. And you can do all this stuff at home. So they're going to have to up their game at the cinema in order to get people to keep going to the cinema. So they that's need the quite atrocity channel. You know what makes yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, one of the main questions here is that obviously we've looked at the Epson uh, laser projector, the home version of that, uh, which fires the laser off the phosphorus, obviously, to keep things safe in the home. So there's not direct laser light. How are they using the laser in the Cymax? They're using direct lasers. So, so uh, R- RGB lasers then? Yes, exactly. So clearly there's a lot more um, health and safety issues with this. But, you know, um, isn't, I mean, have you ever been to cinema? Obviously, you can't look into the screen, into the projection um, booth because it's above you. Um, but, yeah, that, that's how they're much, much, much brighter than the um, domestic versions you'll get. Or even that Sony that's been announced last week, which was uh, it's kind of a stripped-down cinema projector, effectively, 
but you know, at sixty grand, you expect that's the VW five thousand. Yeah, the VW five thousand, um, which is like sixty thousand dollars or quid, maybe quid, sixty thousand quid. Um, but yeah, it's, it's um, obviously so. It's, it's so it's RGB laser. So you're getting, uh, like I said, they, they can deliver Rec twenty twenty if, if necessary. Um, and interestingly, um, the Jungle Book, which comes out early next year, that there will be some screenings. They are apparently do, they're doing a Rec twenty twenty version of that for some. In, um, screenings, presumably on IMAX laser. Um, that's interesting because um, that would be a, a first, an absolute first, because obviously uh, currently all, all movies are finished using DCI color space. So assuming I haven't just spent £1,100 putting my car back together, how much does one of these uh, little, little installations set one back? Did they did, Were they prepared to, to let that one slip? No, but it's very, very expensive. <laughs> well, if, if, you, if you consider it, if you consider it that if you are a client of IMAX for a home theatre, um, the cheapest one runs into millions. Nice. And and the regular one is about five million. Right. Good. Nice. Well, fine. What was funny? The back of the sofa. Given that they're really pushing the whole premium experience thing, you know, is there anyone's been to an IMAX proper IMAX screen? Not those kind of IMAX light things, but the real IMAX screens. I mean, their um, seating's very tiered, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And there, there was these very comfortable leather, sort of leather chairs and everything. It was almost very nice, but almost no leg room. I mean, I'm not that tall, and I was cramped and stuck in there. I thought, God, if anyone's you know got long legs, this is going to be a really uncomfortable two hours. So I'm amazed they didn't put a bit more leg room in there. I always um, go. For, I always go for premium seats when I go to the IMAX. You get a bit more leg room, and I'm a short. Well, arse. these were all premium seats. There were no non-premium seats. Really? Okay. They had no leg room. Had any leg room. <laughs> But then, if you think, I mean, that used to be the old screen one, yeah, didn't they're it? Trying to cram it into a very small, a relatively small space, aren't and they? and they've split it into two, haven't they? Yeah, so it was the old yeah. screen one, and they've split it into two, two IMAX yeah. things, yeah. But yeah, uh, so technology-wise, very, very impressive, and clearly, clearly, that's the you know that's the future. They were quite keen to point out that there are obviously other laser projectors being used. I mean, Dolby Cinema being the obvious example, and oh, I forgot to mention, of course, because it's laser, they can also deliver HDR. Um, but they were keen to point out that because they actually built the projectors from the ground up and changed the uh, the, the, the way that the um, panels are all aligned uh, and, the, and the actual device that holds them, they've actually, that's how they've managed, they said they've managed to improve the black levels and contrast ratio on their projectors substantially in comparison to the competition. Yeah, because DLP has never been great. Never been its strong point, no. Um, as, as they are lasers, can they also be used to explode the heads of people talking, <laughs> using their phones, or eating unnecessarily no, noisy food? No, that, that would be great, great if they did. Because yeah. it's a missed, <laughs> missed opportunity if it can't. Got to be honest. Yeah. That was clearly one of the things that Back to the Future Part 2 did miss, which is that everyone's on their mobile phones these days. <laughs> well, mobile phones were still fax machines back then, mate. Wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, there was an AT&T phone booth in one shot as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 never going to see that. Uh, uh, right. Yeah, so IMAX Laser was uh, very impressive. Very so that's it, uh, Empire Lesser Square. I think it's the only one in the UK at the moment, isn't it? So um, Yes, yeah, so um, obviously if you want to check it out, um, I, I guess this week they're still playing The Warp, but next week it's going to be Spectre. And obviously come December, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother going to see that. Yeah. You, don't, you don't want to go and see Star Wars. Nobody buy tickets for it. It's it's not worth it. Well, no, I'm I'm afraid actually I've had a ticket booked for me. I, <laughs> I was granted to seventeenth of December, in fact, at the IMAX. Is that your birthday, Ed? No, the eighteenth of December is my birthday. I thought it came out on the eighteenth. Apparently, <laughs> there's some advanced screens on the seventeenth just to really screw everything up. <laughs> so, uh, so you kind of mention your birthday again. It, it is my birthday on the eighteenth. Okay, so. Uh, another thing was the big 80s revival um, thing. I mean, obviously it had to do that in the film because it was based around 55, 85 and 2015. But there is a big revival, obviously, with, with Vinyl Ed. And yep. the 80s, looking, looking at things now, how everything is such a compressed mess uh, when you look at how music is mastered. And there's very few recording studios still, still mastering full range. Um, you've got to go and find the, the really small labels to, to get that nowadays. Back in the eighties, they used to do it right, didn't they? And and there and is a final was... irony that yeah, you can listen to sort of any old dross by Stock Aitken and Walk Waterman, and it's often <laughs> there is more dynamic range than there is on supposedly yep. sort of quite audiophile stuff in twenty fifteen. Yes. So come on, give us your highlights of what people should be digging out in terms of original eighties recordings to to hear things at the very best. 
Right. Well, there's a couple of couple of options. I mean, th- this is a bit of a cliche, but it does still stand. Paul Simon's Graceland is still just it, it's I you know I I really like it as an album. It is a it is an audiophile cliche, but it is beautifully recorded. It's a, it's a joy to listen to, and there have been remasters and all the rest of it. But actually, if you can find an original CD, uh, ironically, it's the first CD my dad ever bought. So we have got an, uh, the original CD is still just just a really wonderful demonstration of what CD can actually do. Um, then uh, in terms of just one of the best best recorded albums, full stop, uh, Colour of Spring by Talk Talk. It's bloody marvellous. It really, really is awesome. Um, doesn't matter. You can go for the vinyl, which was mastered in Germany and is just stunning uh the cd is equally equally excellent equally if you've got tidal um that's a perfectly good that's the remastered version but it's still awesome uh and then a uh, bit of an odd one uh but uh, it's a fabulous album is uh, bronski beats age of consent uh, a seminal gay protest album uh, funny story uh my dad who is not particularly clued up on matters of gay protest um wandered into the then our price at uh, the end of Waterloo Station in the 80s, uh, wearing uh, wearing full military uniform and picked up a copy of The Age of Consent by Bronski Beat to buy, uh, featuring as it does a big pink triangle on the front and the words The Age of Consent. Just wandered up to buy it and stop shock you. He goes, oh, you're really brave. And I goes, well, no, not really. It's just a uniform. Um no idea at all of any of the sort of subtext of it but subtext or not it's a fantastic album and again just if you um i mean there's uh the 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 sort of classic single off it uh small town boy if you just objectively sit back and listen to how quietly it starts and just how much level builds over the course of the song and then just try and find a modern recording that does anything like that, hmm. you, you'll you'll be struggling. In all honesty, and that's that's a no. That was a chart pop release, and it's still beautifully done. Yeah, one of my favourites. Uh, I keep going back to it because it's it just brilliantly recorded. Um, controversial figure later in life, but at the time, I mean, it was it was probably the biggest album. I think it was the biggest album of the eighties, and that's Thriller, Michael yeah. Jackson. It's biggest just album of all time, isn't it? Yeah, it's still, yes, yeah, strongest selling of all time, I believe. Yeah, and uh, you know, it just sounds brilliant, really, really good. I was listening to Tidal, uh, a couple of weeks ago now through the Genelex, and you know, you listen to stuff that's recorded now, and then you go back to that stuff, and it's just the way it's put together, the way it's mixed, the full dynamic range. The oh, it's such a good, good sounding album. It's true. That said, controversial here, my favorite. Michael Jackson album is off the wall. I think it just the sheer joy of it. Yeah. You can't. Yeah, beat. that's a really good album. Definitely and then for really full eighties joy, yeah. it's not thriller. It's got to be bad. Come on, it's not quite. I agree with you. It it lacks some of the presentational. No, I, I mean there's only a couple of tracks really on bad that I like. I, it, whereas I could sit and listen to Thriller straight through. I, and, and and off the wall, like you said, excellent off the album. wall's just magnificent. Yeah. It, it yeah. is it is the the best Michael Jackson album by country mile. Okay, so you're only allowed to pick one to wrap up on this point because we've got some hardware to go back and talk about. So what would it be? If you're going to recommend one 80s album that's really well recorded and... Colour of Spring by Talk Talk. That's the one. It's not just for the 80s, just full stop. It's an amazing album done by people who obviously cared on an obsessive level about how it sounds. It is perfect. Okay, so going back to one of the the ideas of uh, Back to the Future 2, and that was uh, watching simultaneously watching TV channels, having hundreds of channels. And we've got to remember, back then, uh, Back to Future 2, was that 87, 88? 89. It was 89, was it? Oh, yeah, they did the two back-to-back, didn't they? Um, So it was 89. So you're still looking at um, four channels Channels in the UK, and Sky was just about launching or or had just launched the end of the 80s, early 90s. So 
you know, you didn't have that great a choice, even with the satellite channels. I think it only came to about 20 extra channels back then. I mean, now you're looking at Freeview 166 alone on Freeview. 66 services, I think. Services, is it? Yeah, right. yeah. Ra- that includes radio and red button and yeah. that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. And then you've got, you've got Sky, which is, um, I haven't had Sky for a while, Ed, but I, I'd imagine it's still 200 odd channels. Oh, and the rest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, before we go to Steve, who's been to visit one of these new broadcasters, um, in terms of your viewing habits and in terms of the channels that you have to hand, guys, uh, Mark, you're viewing, do you, do you tend to stream and watch catch-up or do you still watch TV channels? And if you do, which is it the same ones over uh, and over again? Yeah, um, I own, you know, if it was just channels one to four, I'd still be all right. And <laughs> provided I could watch some live sport, which I can. So, um yeah, that kind of covers me. And then I've, I've got Netflix, Amazon, Now TV. I've started that again. Or rather, my daughter did inadvertently. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I don't. I, I actually only need channels one to four. In fact, I don't really need ITV. Yeah. I could get rid of that. Yeah. I mean, BBC. Oh, but you'd have missed BBC, Downton Abbey. Did you see Downton, Downton Abbey last night? Downton no. Abbey? No, I don't watch that. Well, as I say, normally Downton Abbey is, is entirely un, uh, entirely missable. But last night, they clearly had been channeling uh, John Hurt's immortal scene in Alien. And I don't want to say any more than that. It'll be on the <laughs> ITV catch-up. I, I just All right, I mean, skip through I mean, most of it. It's about 40-odd minutes in. Okay, I'm intrigued. It, I will go and have a look. <laughs> you know, I used to be really big when it came to viewing. I used to have Sky. I used to have a full package on Sky. Um, paid a fortune for it, had BT Sport as well and you know up until about 18 months ago and I looked at how much I was actually paying and how much I was actually watching um, I junked it all in and and like you Mark I've got Now TV uh, subscribed to Netflix, subscribed to Amazon and that does me it's only so much you can watch in a day isn't it? yeah and and you've got Freeview the only thing I'm missing at the minute which I'm going to have to buy at some point is a PVR just to record stuff because um, stuff like Match of the Day and so on, I'd rather time shift that yeah, and watch it when I, I want to watch it because mm. it doesn't turn up on iPlayer till the middle of the week. Yeah. Um, but that, that seems to be the only thing that I'm missing. Um, and and it seems to be that that you know most of the good stuff that's on Sky, you can get that with the entertainment package on Now TV. And I'm thinking like Game of Thrones if you're a Game Walking of Thrones, Dead, so you, just Walking Dead, you can get that Now TV as well. You don't need the Sky mm. package to do that. You know so. Um, Definitely changing. So, Steve, you went and visited BT Sport. Yeah. Uh, they had an open house because they are the first to run an Ultra HD service. But there's a lot of caveats around this Ultra HD service because none of the team here could review the box because none of us have got big enough pipes. Yeah, you need a, well, uh, Mark does have a big enough connection, but well, why was the reason you couldn't do it, Mark? I haven't got a BT line. Yeah, that was a fairly obvious I've reason. Got virgin fibre. So yeah, but yes, apart from Mark, none of us even get close to the kind of bandwidth you need for this service. But I mean, full credit to BT. I mean, for actually launching the first ultra HD TV live broadcasts in the world. Uh, I think you know that's a, that's a pretty a big plus for them. I mean, you could say you know they're well ahead of the game in terms of uh, the competition right now. Um, and when you look at what they're doing behind the scenes here. I mean, obviously you think, okay, they've, they've put a lot of money into buying the rights of things like the Champions League. Uh, and the obvious reason for doing that is to push their, not just their Ultra HD service, but obviously their full BT Sports service to get more people to, to take uh, BT as a service provider. And it's a way of driving their business. Fair enough. But they are dead serious about being a broadcaster. They're not. It's not just that they bought the rights to it. They are a broadcaster in every sense of the word. And the city that they've built in the old broadcast center that was built for the Olympics um, in the Olympic Park, it, you know, is state of the art. And it's huge. The main studio, and the way they've done it is really good because they've got the, the main studio, which is the size of like an aircraft hangar. Um, and then there's also two other studios within that studio. So you can actually see when they're filming stuff, you can see things going on in the background. It's like, like a bit of theater. So they've got three studios in total. Um, one of which is enormous. Um, they've got uh, obviously they're feeding this out to all over the, all over Europe. So they've got all these control rooms, um, all this facility. I mean, it, it is quite remarkable what they've built. And and in fact, they were also quite proud to say they've managed to build what is state of the art, but on a relatively tight budget. They haven't just thrown an infinite amount of money at it. They've done it on a tight budget. They said it was a lot less than the BBC spent to build their BBC spent to build their new new studios up in Scotland. 
I think it would have been cheaper to build a new studio on the moon than the what the BBC ended yeah. up spending. To be fair, it's a fairly low bar if you're going to come in under the BBC. Although that said, I am glad that they are taking being a broadcaster seriously because it sure as hell not very good at telecoms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've, oh, I've got BT and I'm fine with it. Thank you very they much. Were useless. I kicked them well into touch. Nah, no, they're fine. Um, anyway, so they're obviously, um, yeah, they're they're non they're serious about being a broadcast. They built a really great facility to deliver their live sports broadcasts. I mean, obviously at the moment it's very much dominated by live live sports. There is they also make some some programs associated with sports, like the Claire Balding show is actually made by BT Sport, and then they basically have sold a cut down half hour version to the BBC, which they broadcast on BBC Two. So it's there's a lot of um, work in conjunction with other broadcasts of BBC Channel Four, people like that they're working with, which is good to see. They you know they obviously they didn't want to say anything about their future plans, but you know you could see them moving into other areas of broadcasting in the future. There's no reason why they shouldn't. Um, I think they've got some deal going on with AMC as well, so that would be the first step, I believe. But not only is it that they're, they're serious about being a broadcaster, but it's the level of technology they're trying to deliver into the home. The off, I mean, if you watch their coverage of a Champions League night when, when there's I mean, eight or ten games going on simultaneously, you can watch them all. <laughs> and you can get live updates as you're watching one game of what's happening on another game, and then just flick back and see that goal or whatever, free kick or whatever it was happens in that other game, then go back to your game. It was staggering the level of technology available. Yeah, now hang on a second. I know this is impressive, and I, I have experienced the BC1, and it's extremely good. I feel uh, compelled to actually point out that um, I can't remember which French broadcaster it is, but they had this up and running with the French First Division Premier League, whatever you want to call it, um, at least 15 years ago. And I think earlier than that they just introduced a 10 second lag uh they used to broadcast half half to three quarters of the games live and it would be goal flash x versus y and because of the time lag you could then flick over to the channel in question and watch it happen ostensibly live it was really i mean that was pretty groundbreaking for the time they were doing it i'm assuming what bt's done is not you know not not infinitely more sophisticated than that <laughs> but nonetheless they it's not it's not a new concept it's been around for quite a long time what i mean i'm not a massive football fan and that night we were watching uh man U versus wolfsburg in ultra hd 4k i tell you one thing you get used to watching things in 4k really quickly when we flipped over to one of the full hd channels it looked rubbish in comparison um but they um you know, you could, we really got into the whole the whole night of it, not just that one game, you know, but all the games going on and all the goals and all the penalties and free kicks and excitement that was happening. And they had a um, another program being broadcast simultaneously, which was basically a bunch of guys, including Harold Webb, the referee, in a room talking about what's happening in, on all the games and, you know, and obviously giving their opinions on free kicks or penalties and how Webb would say, well, that was a penalty, that wasn't a penalty. So it was like Saturday football, the one that BBC do, but with pictures rather than just audio. Um yeah, it was very impressive. I mean, you can see that they really, they really. I mean, what what amazed me was how serious they are about this. I just kind of assumed, well, they bought the rights to get you know, people to buy their service. But yes, that's true. But they're very, very serious about delivering a, a full package service in terms of um, live sport and, and certainly the technology that they're employing is cutting edge. Steve, and, and, and obviously the most sorry, go on, Mark, yeah, yeah. Just a question with the new cameras. Is it allowing them to open up a wider field of view on 1080p? Yeah, that's what they it is. Because I noticed it on Saturday. That's that's much much wider than it was used to be. What they're doing, the way they're broadcasting 4K is obviously they've only got a finite number of cameras, um, but they have yeah, But they've also got the world's first. You know, they've got, they've got uh, uh, But the one of the big problems they had was developing an outside broadcast truck that could deliver 4K, and they've been testing it for two years. It's taken them a long time to get to this point. But what they're doing with 4K broadcasts is they're actually using two cameras, so you're getting like over half the pitch in each shot. So it's like being at the game. It's really and impressive. It's yeah. really good because what you're seeing is what every all the other players are doing. You know, you're not just because often, obviously, foot, you know, on normal broadcast, they'll kind of zoom in on one or two players and you'll get like that bit of action. But you don't see, get the whole picture of what's happening on the rest of the pitch. With this, it's like being at a live match where you can see what everyone else is doing around them when someone makes a party. Oh, that guy's over there. I think that's a much better way of watching football, actually. Um, really works for me. So I, I, I think uh, that's an un. Perhaps an aspect of 4K people haven't thought of before, but it makes, maybe initially, it's partly down to a limited number of cameras but i think because of the higher resolution uh, and the fact you can do that it makes it a more enjoyable experience watching football because it feels more like you actually had a game definitely 
definitely. It was it was really appreciable. It made more of a difference to me than the actual resolution bump. Yeah, the actual, the actual seeing more of the game being you know more like being in the stand. They were using um, flat screen TVs. They actually were Samsungs, but they were JS uh, JU seven five hundreds. Is it seven hundred? The, the flat versions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, uh, any any reason why they're flat and not curved? Because what football's got you know football fields are flat, aren't they? What's <laughs> 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 their view on it? <laughs> They weren't too keen on curved tellies, and they also were not very keen on 3D. Um, but I have to agree with it too. I think 3D broadcasting of sport was a bit of a disaster because, like, they, con- they kept having a habit of putting cameras down by the side of the pitch, yeah. and you've got no idea what was going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's still early days, and that's that's a fact. And um, and, and it's really it's really restrictive at the minute as well yeah, because we've already mentioned the pipes and how how much data you need to get and. And they're delivering it via the internet as well. You know, it's not. Was that, well, they seem to feel that's the only way it's going to get delivered. That they 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 didn't seem to think that we're going to see much out of Sky anytime soon. Yeah, uh, of course you're going to say that, Steve. Yeah, okay, but we'll see. Was I mean, Sky have been suspiciously quiet of late. Don't you think? I mean, of course I think, not, sure I think ultimately, if you just, I don't. Sky's sort of modus operandi will be to go come in with more than just sport. Yes, they, yeah. that is, I think key to their I mean let's face it at the moment it, it it's the breadth of content across the platform that keep that gives them an edge so you'll probably find that they'll be looking to work up a 4k movie channel at the very least and I probably you'll find that I would have assumed that at least some of the some of the stuff they're producing then their native stuff for themselves they must be if they've got any eye on the future be shooting some of that yep. in 4k as well but you see I think the big problem here is uh, I don't think broadcast is the future of 4K delivery at all. I don't see oh, it happening. And and I've read a few interviews recently with people from the BBC who are involved with these things and from other broadcasters, and there's no interest there from the broadcast side in delivering 4K. Well, no, hang on a second. Let's let, If we clarify that, the BBC is saying they aren't because the nasty government's taken all their money away, so they're having a sulk. So they're not. How can they deliver it over over broadcast? I don't think you. I I don't think that that is it. To be honest, that's the sort of secondary thing. They just at the moment they're posturing and saying they aren't doing anything because they don't have the money. Yeah, but it was it wasn't just the BBC though. Ed, you know, you're talking about a lot of European broadcasters, and it's something that Steve mentioned as well when you talked to the the BDA and they were talking about. Uh, talking to broadcasters and stuff, th- there was very little interest from European broadcasters as well. No, there isn't. That's true. I mean, there, there's very little interest. There's very little consensus. And talking to BT, they seem to think that there was going to be a lot harder to deliver any kind of broadcast 4K than people perhaps initially thought. And you're right, they actually said the future is internet delivery, no question about that. Um, you know, That's definitely the only way it's going to be viable. And, and, that, and that makes sense. The interesting thing will be, you've mentioned it, Phil, but it's finding content. I mean, obviously, if you're broadcasting live sport or something like that with a 4K camera, fine. But when you consider that still most films are finished at 2K and not 4K, there's only a limited amount. Like you're saying, Mark, you know, they have to start making their own call. I think it was Ed that said it, make their content as, as Netflix have been doing of late. Um, and Amazon, um, you have to make it, the content, it, finish it, it in 4K, and to create your own 4K content because it it's, a, it's a lot easier out. though for them to go back and do that than it is to set up a broadcasting system and broadcast it over there and all the rest of it. So delivering content in terms of films and so and so on, it's far easier for them to go back and rescan or re redo it in 4K um, yeah. than it is. You know, for broadcast to, to work. I mean, you're not going to get sitcoms and all the rest of it unless it's no, made no. by Amazon or Netflix. Um, that's where the future is for 4K. It's services like Amazon and Netflix, um, and it's up to the broadcasters to get into that that sphere and work in that sphere. Otherwise, your, your highest resolution on TV broadcast is going to be HD. You're not going to get 4K. Yeah. So in answer to your original question, Phil, yes, I was very impressed by uh, BT Sports facilities, and I'd say they are gunning for Sky <laughs> at the moment. Uh, right, so the last thing, we talked about pull-down screens, and um, the forums lit up last week because we had our review of the CX-952 OLED TV, or the 950s it's called everywhere else, um, from Panasonic. It's the big thing. It was the big thing that we haven't been able to talk about for months on the podcast because of NDAs and all the rest of it. It's a screen that we saw um back in the end of June. Uh, it was announced at IFA in September and Steve had the privilege, because I was away on holiday, uh, to review the TV. And the LG is turning up this week. Is it there, Steve? 
Yeah, it's arrived, is it? Yeah. Um, so you've got the the flat LG as well. So you've you've had a look at the nine fifty two. Is it the future? It, it, is OLED it, the future? Is OLED the future? Because at eight grand, it's a hell of a lot of money for the Panasonic. Well, um, I think I think in general, yes. I I still personally believe that OLED is the future. And briefly going back to the whole back to the future thing, I can definitely see a future where you can have pull down OLED screens. I mean that that's something I've it has been demonstrated in the past. I think, right, it's thing. it's the reason why we have curved screens because you could do that could with do OLED. That. So so I think I think absolutely that's definitely going to be the future. Obviously, there's still issues in terms of um, quality, production yields, etc. But no question, I think is the future. And obviously, LG believe that because they've invested an awful lot of money in this, um, and to be and and have positioned themselves effectively as the monopolistic supplier of these panels at the moment. Now, moving on to the Panasonic. I mean, clearly, this is a statement television on their part. I mean, they they were top dog for a couple of years after Pioneer were pulled out of the market. They had their plasma TVs, and they were the picture quality top dogs for about three, four years, weren't they, Phil? And every year it was a big deal with the new Panasonic plasma. And when they pulled out of the plasma market, all they were left with was LCD. You know, there were other companies, people like you know Samsung or Sony, who'd spent years investing in LCD and had really pushed that technology as far as they could. And they were vastly superior to um, Panasonic, who were in a position of, A, not making them themselves, but shipping them from somebody else and kind of playing catch up. And they'd lost a bit of their, you know, a bit of their luster, a bit of their glory. And I think it stung them a bit. Um, and this TV, I believe, is is, a, is an attempt to recapture some of that glory uh, by, de- by developing a no compromises, no holds barred, top picture quality television. First of all, they don't make OLED panels, so they have to buy it from uh, from LG. So it's a 65-inch curved OLED TV. So they're using a 65-inch curved OLED panel from LG Display. Um, as we know from the past, Mark, that TV has had, had a few issues. Yep. Specifically, uh, I, I use the term vignetting. I think you've used that, Phil, you? But, you know, basically dark bits at the edges of the screen, which presumably are, are caused by how the panel's being driven. Um, and also um, a bit of banding in just above black, like 5% or 5 IRE or 10 IRE, around about that part. You can get spending only on certain scenes. And I noticed I only actually managed to find it if I actually put a specific scene on that everyone had been talking about rather than actually noticing normal content. But it is definitely there. If you put up a 5, five IRE screen, you can see it. So those are obviously inherent limitations in the panel itself. Uh, and clearly, Panasonic have done everything they can to, to minimize this. And they certainly have handled the problem of vignetting well that that was not obvious that was not um apparent at all so i think yeah they limit that issue however however they're driving the panel the slight banding just above black was still there Uh, although as i said you didn't really see it uh, unless you were using some very specific test material or very specific scenes um um, specifically i think you did this too mark is the scene where matthew mcconaughey is getting out of bed first thing at the beginning of interstellar yeah. But I mean, I can't say I saw anything else, including the Jaws campfire scene that also gets mentioned. You know, that, that that's the limitation of the panel, perhaps. But I think LG, oh, sorry, no, I think Panasonic have done everything they can to deliver as best a TV as you can make right now. Um, and so what they've done is they've taken the panel itself, but they've created a, a, an attractive chassis with this um, Alcantara back, uh, which, by the way, if you've got a cat, don't let anyone near it because it'll use it as a scratching pad. Um They've got, you know, the, the inputs are up, upward, downward facing inputs. So you can run the cables through um, cable ties and clips to make it all nice and tidy and put the back panel on if you want to. You've got access to side inputs for certain things you may want to plug in and out like USB. You've got a gorgeous uh, stand, lovely build quality, uh, the, the usual two remote controls. They have It has a stripped down smart platform, uh, apparently because Panasonic are using all the processing power pretty much for the image quality. Although I don't see why they couldn't just put a better processor in, considering you're spending eight grand on the thing. But that was their argument. So you don't get the full uh, My Home screen or Firefox OS. You just get a very basic platform. But let's be honest, what you use it mostly for, uh, Netflix, BBC iPlayer, Amazon Instant, well, they're there. And you can do 4K So and YouTube. So really, everything you're probably going to use is there without all the flashy bells and whistles. So is that a big loss? I don't know. I, I don't think it was a big loss personally. Sound quality was okay. could have been better, but I think if you're spending 10, eight, sorry, if you're spending eight grand on a TV, you're going to use some sort of outboard solution, or at least I recommend you do. Um, obviously where Panasonic really think they've got the edges in terms of um, processing and image accuracy and, cal- and calibration controls, and no question out of the box, incredibly accurate picture in the THX cinema mode. So if it was eight grand of your own money? No. 
<laughs> you asked me, would I spend eight grand on it? No, and the reason, uh, well, aside from the fact I haven't got eight grand to spend on the telly, and that is a lot of money for a television. There's no question about it. This, like I said at the beginning, this is a statement product. I don't think they're expecting to sell very many of them. They probably don't have very many of them to sell, actually, um, because I think they were very picky on panels that they used and that sort of stuff. So, you know, there's lots of reasons why it's expensive. And they're expensive to sell very many. They just want to be able to get themselves back in the you know, top tier again and say, look, we can make decent TVs. Uh, there you go. Hopefully, we'll see this trickle down to much cheaper Panasonic OLEDs, different screen sizes, and hopefully some flat ones as well, because obviously this one is curved, and not everyone likes a curve. But if it was my money right now, I mean, there's two ways of looking at this. One is, you know, if you don't have to buy it, I think we've had this conversation before, but you don't have to buy a TV right now. I would suggest don't buy a TV right now, because there's a lot of changes going on at the moment in terms of obviously OLED development, but also in terms of standards. So, you know, it would probably pay to wait to see what comes out in, at CES in January and then, you know, eight, March or April next year. That would be my personal opinion. But if you were going to buy a TV right now, I, I would struggle to justify spending that much money on, on a television set. Um, you know, you can pick up the LG OLEDs for pretty much half that cost and are they you know is the, is the uh is the panasonic four grand better uh, no well um, you're you're the only one that can answer that because you've <laughs> you've got well, the LG in there so you know that's gonna have to be one of the questions that you're gonna have to answer yeah yeah no i mean um i, w- I would certainly struggle yeah i don't think it'd be easy to justify that kind of expenditure on television i don't think you're going to get I mean, it's been interesting to see with the 950 that's just arrived, um, whether that image is vastly different from the one that was on the um, on their curved OLEDs and whether, you know, they've perhaps had some feedback from Panasonic and, and have in, incorporated that into their, into their well, panels the, and how they drive them. Who knows? The main questions are going to be, is it is it similar to Panasonic? Have they solved the, the vignette? And, yeah, if the vignetting's gone, then that's a big step forward, isn't it? Yeah. And then you've got to say, well, what, what advantage has the Panasonic then got over and above that? And you could say that, we're gonna to have to wait, aren't we? Because otherwise, I'm just speculating. But you know, the, is is there this four grand difference? Well, and then are you prepared to pay it? Yeah, I mean, you said you could you could buy two LGs for the same cost, have one in two different rooms. I mean, it's you got, best viewed oh. as one of the, it's best viewed as a technology demonstrator, which they're trying to recoup some costs on. Let's hope that it leads to some more accessible and more practical opportunities well, going you know, forward. If, if LG Display are prepared to spare, sell their panel technology to third parties in return for some uh, feedback on that, which seems to be the deal that they have with Panasonic, you could see the other Japanese manufacturer that's still making TVs get involved. Yeah. I mean, if we see others getting involved, I mean, the only one you're not going to see is Samsung getting involved because yeah. there's no way they're going to get in bed with, with the biggest rival. But if you see others, and then there's there's also the Chinese manufacturers and they're making quite a bit of noise about making their own stuff as well. So be interesting. I mean, CES is going to be, I think, one of the big... In- and <laughs> I'm not going to build it up because we've built it up before and it's been a disappointment. But it seems to me we're on the cusp of that wave about to break really i think that's where we are in terms of technology the wave's just about to break and then we could see this technology then coming down into more acceptable price range uh you know price ranges that that people can start to afford um it's certainly an enthusiast market uh we have gone well over time which is quite ironic when we're based on a on a time travel we back, film. We go back in time to the beginning and start again. Yeah, we'll go back and start again. Um, but before we do, the only real thing to, to say is that if you're listening to this on Wednesday when the podcast goes out, uh, then you can go to the cinema tonight uh, in selected cinemas and watch Back to the Future Part 2. It's if, on my TV too as well. Is it? Oh, well, there you go. You don't so you have to stay go. in and have a drink you can, as well. You can stay in yeah. and have a drink and, and not have to socialise, eh, Ed? Well, yeah, you know, that's always an advantage. <laughs> Uh, the only other thing we need to mention is that next week, the big film is Steve. Spectra opens on Monday. Twi- I know it sounds strange, but it opens on Monday, the 26th of October. Um, and I'm assuming everyone will be going to see it. So. Actually, do you know what? I've been invited along to a showing. So have I. The um, day after. The day after. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm contemplating it. It depends if I can get childcare. Ed, go to the cinema. Christ, the earth would stop spinning. Well, as I say, I'm going. I'm going. Going on. I, 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 after all the things I said, I wasn't going anywhere near Star Wars at the opening sort of times. I'm going at the opening. So, <laughs> well, you actually go yeah, the day before. It's all a bit <laughs> radical. So basically, we could be a situation next week where I'm talking about Spectre and you've all seen it. Well, maybe not you, Mark, but the other two. Bogged <laughs> <laughs> off. 
It depends. Well, we record on a Monday, so we're not going to see it on the Monday. So next podcast... No, we won't have seen it. No, actually, that's a bit annoying. So there, <laughs> so there you go. We won't be able to talk about it next week, folks. Um, rounding up the Blu-rays, um, again, it's Back to the Future, 30th anniversary box set. If you're going to buy it, um, get the US version, because the US version has the complete animated series, whereas the UK version only has two episodes from the animated series. So if you want the full package, uh, the US version is also region-free. I mean, I don't... Did you ever watch the animated series? No. Me not. I didn't even know there was one. Yeah. And on that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that really is it for the AV Forums podcast this week. Um, it's been feature-packed. I hope you enjoyed it. Please remember to leave your five stars uh, feedback, and we'll read your name out if you do. Uh, we'll do that next week. We'll, uh, we'll catch up on who's left us some feedback and read some of them out. Um, and all I need to do now is thank Steve Withers. No, it can't be. I've just sent you back to the future. Mark Hodgkinson. Since when did you become the physical type? And Dave Selly. I mean, it's like I was just here yesterday. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll see you again next week. Next week.